Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Daniel chapter 5. Now, uh, for those who went to camp, I apologize in advance because you've heard Daniel chapter 5 before at uh, Protein Camp. Uh, I wasn't supposed to preach tonight, Samuel was, but uh, we, Samuel and I swapped. Okay, so uh, I'm preaching tonight, so uh, I'm going to preach uh, what I preached at camp and uh, uh, what I also preached while I was away. So, Daniel chapter 5 this evening, I trust it will be a blessing, even though the young people may have heard it before. So, but let's look to the Lord in prayer as we start tonight. Gracious Father, we thank you this evening for the privilege of being here. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word together. We do pray that, Lord, you would guide our time in your word. We pray that, Lord, that we would glean from your word something special that would be a blessing to us, Father God, that you would help us to be encouraged by. Lord God, that as we leave this place this night, we might know that we've been in your presence, and that, Lord, that you might be exalted and praised. Give me wisdom as I preach, Father. Give me the words to say. Just use me, Father God, this night to your glory. And may you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a fairly common English idiom that goes, the writing is on the wall. It means something bad is going to happen. It has the idea that you should be able to see it's coming because the writing is on the wall. And of course, that expression comes right here from Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 takes place at least 20 years after the events of the previous chapter, Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, if you remember uh, your study of Daniel in the past, you'll remember that King Nebuchadnezzar commits the sin of pride. And he ends up going mentally ill and living like an animal, a beast of the field, eating grass and uh, living out of the paddock, if you like. After he repented, he was restored to office. But now he has died. And a new king is on the throne. But as we come to Daniel chapter 5, things are not going well. The Babylonian Empire is crumbling. The Persians are just outside the city, ready to attack. Daniel has been in Babylon now for many years. You remember in Daniel chapter 1, he was 14 years of age when he was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, had three deportations out of uh, uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. The first of those was when he took Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and took them into captivity, the princes of Israel, that he could train them in the ways of the Chaldeans. Daniel was 14 years of age when that happened. Now Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is on the throne. Daniel, by Daniel chapter 5, is around 80 years of age. Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 is 84 years of age when he ends up in the lion's den. And here he's about 80 years of age in Babylon. And as we come to Daniel chapter 5, God demonstrates how long-suffering and merciful he is to sinners in allowing each of us opportunities, another opportunity, to serve him. Another opportunity for those who are not saved to be saved. Because you see, like Belshazzar, one day time will be over and opportunities will be lost 
forever. All of us will one day face the judgment. The unsaved will face the great white throne judgment and those of us who are saved will stand before the beamer seat judgment but all of us will stand before the judgment. And then that day, every opportunity for serving God will be over. And unless we do right today, one day, it will be too late. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is holding a party. Look in verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold, golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. He's holding a party, and this feast, as with all of his feasts, was a sinful, sensual affair. When he came together with his princes and with his concubines and with all the household of, of Belshazzar to drink wine before, as I said, the thousands, it was a drunken, sensual, sinful affair. Here is a king, King Belshazzar, here is a king who was not concerned in acknowledging God. A king who had no thought for eternity. Even though eternity was standing at his door, he's a king who has no thought for eternity. It's recorded in the history books that Belshazzar was a king who spent all night getting drunk and all day sobering up. That was the pattern of his life. As the evening fell, he would have a party, he would get drunk, and then he would spend the next day sleeping it off. So much so that these parties were a situation where nothing was, le nothing was left to, to unhindered as far as the enjoyment of the party was concerned. And we find that in verses 3 and 4. It says, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and the princes, his wives and his concubines, drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. This whole scene that we find here in Daniel chapter 5 is a scene of stupidity. History tells us that for three years, Belshazzar's enemy has been mounting outside the city. In fact, what they've been doing is building a water course to divert the water that runs through the city into a new water course so they can invade the city. For three years, Belshazzar has known that the enemy was advancing. And now the enemy is at the gate of the city. As he has this party in Daniel chapter 5, the enemy is at the gate of the city ready to attack. And yet Belshazzar continues to sin. Belshazzar continues to party. Belshazzar continues to act in this sinful, sensual way with no thought for his life, no thought for tomorrow, no thought for eternity. He's more concerned with having fun more concerned with enjoying life, more concerned with living in sin than his own safety. And the scene is a lot like today's world. You know, our world today has no time for God. No time for, no thought for the impending danger. Eternity is standing at life's door, yet man is unconcerned. 
You would think, wouldn't you, after two years of a pandemic where thousands died around the world, thousands more were hospitalized and were at death's door and many more were seriously ill, you would think the world would stop and think about the, uh, the seriousness of how life is short, how that death is only a breath away. But COVID effectively, as far as management goes, has ended. There's not the same intensity of the media every day talking about the cases and how many have died and how many are in hospital and how many uh, cases have been reported. And mankind has gone back to his old ways, living in sin, living as though it doesn't matter, living as though there is no God, just enjoying life. But the truth is that like Belshazzar, each of us will face God one day. We can't escape the coming judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Judgment is coming for all of us. All of us one day will die. And after that, the judgment. And even if the rapture happens before we die, after that, the judgment. And the question for all of us, are we ready to meet our God? I mean, the first question we need to ask ourselves and seriously consider is, do we know the Savior? And if we know the Savior, are we ready to meet our God? You know, no one can escape the judgment that is to come. As Belshazzar was about to find out. The scene in the banqueting hall was one of great revelry. Belshazzar had stopped at nothing to defy God, we read about that in verses 3 and 4 where he brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood and stone. Belshazzar had stopped at nothing to defy God. He committed great sacrilege by taking the very vessels that were des designated to God, that were sanctified for the God of heaven, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple. He took them now and he used them in his drunken party. And he defies God by worshipping the gods of Babylon, by drinking out of the vessels that belonged to a holy and mighty God. And then something extraordinary happened. One moment, the hall was filled with the noise of a drunken party. One moment, they were shouting and there was revelry and there was singing. And the next moment, there was stunned silence as the party is abruptly interrupted. Verse 5 tells us, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote upon the plaster of the wall. There upon the plaster where the honors have been inscribed to the Babylonian warriors and national heroes, God wrote his message of judgment. And we read in verse 5 In the same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. One commentator said this, it was something out of this world. 
It was something supernatural. It was the hand of God delivering his verdict on the blasphemy that had been perpetrated by Belshazzar against a righteous God. Can you imagine the response of the king as he sees a hand writing on the wall? I mean, think about it. If while I'm preaching right now, right behind me over here, the hand appeared and started writing on the wall, I dare say that all of you would have a very sober, shocked look upon your face. You know, and I'd look at my wife and wonder what I'd said wrong because everyone else is giving me this strange look. And if behind you there was a massive judgment about the church at Clarence Valley, you would even be more shocked. I mean, it would just take our breath away, wouldn't it? Well, I'm sure the king sobered up in a hurry that night. I'm sure as he saw the handwriting on the wall that caused him to be sober. The Bible tells us that his strength left him. His knees began to knock and fear filled his heart. Look in verse 6. The king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. You know, sometimes uh, you read these verses and they understate what was going on. Okay, because it says his thoughts troubled him. I dare say they did. It says his joints and his loins were loose. In other words, his stomach was not feeling very good and he was feeling sick in the stomach and he's feeling weak in the knees and sweaty in his palms. And, and it says there that his knees smote one against another and I don't think that was metaphorically, that was probably literally this man is shaking. This man is, is sick. This man is sweating. This man is overwhelmed by what he's seen before him. A hand is writing upon the wall of the palace. It overwhelms the king. One commentator put it this way. Pale, confused and trembling at the knees, the king arose and called for his Chaldean magicians which is what he does in verses 7 through 9. It says, And the king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoso shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known of the king, uh, to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astoned. The king is desperate for answers. And so what he does, he calls for his magicians, for his soothsayers, for his wise men. He collects them all together into the hall, and he offers a high position for anyone who could read the writing first and foremost, and then interpret the writing. And none could. Something significant about that, you know, because the kings are renowned for calling in their wise men, and the wise men are renowned for telling the king what he wants to hear. And if you've just been offered to be third rule in the kingdom, if you've just been offered gold and silver, you've been offered a high-ranking position, and you were one of the wise men, you would be tempted, wouldn't you, to tell him what he wanted to hear. 
that this was not bad news, this was good news. But the Bible says, in there in verse 8 and 9, it says, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known the king the interpretation thereof. Then was the king greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed, In him and his lords were astoned. These wise men were completely baffled. They'd never encountered anything like this before. They could neither read the writing, nor could they interpret the writing. Now I think one of the amazing things here about this passage is that the one man who could help Belshazzar is not called. All the wise men, says, then came in the king's wise men, so they all came, everyone had been invited to come and help him. It says in verse 7, and the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and all, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, so they're all called in. But the one man who could help was not called in. For when the wise men were called to explain, Daniel was overlooked. Now we're not told here in Daniel chapter 5 why Daniel was overlooked. And there's been many suggestions given as to why he was overlooked. And one of the suggestions that was made that seems fairly relevant to me, is that by this time, Daniel was in semi-retirement. He is 80 years of age. He may well not have been on active duty this time. And that's why he wasn't called. Maybe it was because of who Daniel was that he wasn't called. We're not told. But whatever reason was, no one remembered Daniel. And Daniel wasn't called. But then, the queen mother, according to Daniel chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, remembers Daniel. Look in verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father the king I say thy father made master of the magicians astrologers Chaldeans and soothsayers for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding interpreting dreams and showing of hard senses and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation thereof. The queen mother remembers Daniel. This is not Belshazzar's queen. This is the queen mother. More than likely, this is his grandmother, the queen to Nebuchadnezzar, who comes and now testifies of Daniel. And what a great testimony of this godly man. As she, expects, as she explains to him that in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, there in verse 11. And understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding interpreting dreams and showing of hard senses and dissolving doubts were found in the same Daniel. Daniel. 
great testimony to the man, Daniel. So the queen now tells Belshazzar to call Daniel, and Daniel is now called. And in verse 13 we read this, Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men and the astrologers have brought before uh, brought him before me, that they should read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel is now brought before the king. And there's a telling phrase in verse 14 here. It says, I have even heard of thee. Belshazzar says, I've heard of thee. Now, I don't think he's referring to what the queen mother just said. I think that when the queen mother comes in and tells Belshazzar about Daniel, Belshazzar remembers what he had heard about Daniel. You see, I'm sure his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had told the story about Daniel and the God of Daniel and how the God had worked in his heart. And I think now that Dan Belshazzar is referring to Daniel when he says, I have heard of thee, he is saying, when my mother-in-law, when the queen mother came and my grandmother comes in and tells me about you, I remember thee. He knew about Daniel. He knew about Daniel's God. And he rejected both. And Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, give us a truly wonderful testimony of Daniel's life. Or read 12 to 15, give us a wonderful testimony of Daniel's life. Daniel was a man known as a man of God. That was his testimony. He was a man of God, a man who had served God all of his life. From the beginning of his journey in Babylon, Daniel had always sought to do right. Remember Daniel chapter 1, when he was 14 years of age? Let's go there. Daniel chapter 1, and verse 8, please. If you remember the story, Daniel has been brought into the palace and he's been offered, along with the rest of the, uh, the Jewish captives, he's been offered the meat from the king's table. And it says in verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. At 14 years of age, Daniel had purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. He would not defile God. And defy God and eat meat that was offered unto idols. And he purposed in his heart that he would not do that. Fourteen years of age he'd made that commitment. And throughout all of his life, that purpose, that conviction had led him. And now everybody knew it. So when they needed answers, they turned to Daniel. What a blessing this age prophet was. I was listening to 
past this morning talking about Joseph and Jacob and how that Jacob's testimony was the same when he was dying to the time when he was younger, how that he had a testimony and how he'd finished well. Well, Daniel is another man in God's word who started well and finished well. He was a, an aged prophet who was as faithful at 80 as he was when he was 14. In fact, we find in Daniel chapter 6, he was as faithful at 84 as he was at the age of 14. For 70 years in captivity, Daniel was a faithful testimony. And we don't know what age Daniel died at, but for at least 70 years, he'd been faithful throughout his life. He was as faithful in his latter years as he was in his younger days. And like Daniel, you know, our testimony needs to be such that others can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. You and I need to ensure that we have a testimony that's the same today as it was the day that we got saved. The day that you and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that testimony of that salvation experience, that relationship we have with the Lord ought to be the same today as it was that day. So that the unsaved might know where to turn for answers when they have a need. So that the next generation has an example to follow. You know, the sad thing today is that so many young people don't have a godly example to follow. And those of us who are older, and those of you who are getting older, we have a responsibility to the next generation. We have a responsibility to be as faithful today as we were when we first got saved and faithful tomorrow right through our life till Jesus takes us home to glory. You and I have a responsibility to have a faith that is the same each and every day so that the next generation as they look up to us can see faithful saints. They have an example to follow. Daniel was a great example to follow. Jacob and Joseph were all great examples to follow. And we need to be like them. It's sad, isn't it, when you see someone who's faithfully served the Lord all their life, and when they get into older age, they drift away from the Lord. That should not be true of us. In fact, the longer we live, the closer we ought to get to God, the closer we ought to be to the Lord, and the greater our testimony ought to be. I remember when I was a young fellow, 14 years of age, there was a lady in the church. Uh, I remember going to her funeral. She was a, a dear old saint of 84 years of age. She went home to be with the Lord. But you know, when you, when you spoke to her, it was like you were entering into the very presence of the Lord. She had such a relationship with the Lord that it was fun as a young person to go and talk to her and to listen to her testimony and to listen to her faith. And I remember the funeral vividly, even to this day. I remember uh, the testimony after testimony after testimony of people who had been touched by her life and her testimony and how that she had had an impact upon them from when she'd been saved as a young girl of five to the time she went home to glory at 84, 85 years of age, somewhere there. She'd been a faithful servant of the Lord and person after person after person could testify how she had touched their lives. That would be true of each of us. The older we get, the greater our testimony ought to be. 
for the next generation. In Daniel chapter 5 and verse 16, Daniel is offered a great reward. It says, And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations, dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and a chain of gold about thy neck, and thou shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. And the reference there to the third ruler in the kingdom is because Belshazzar couldn't offer him the second ruler in the kingdom, because that was himself. Belshazzar was co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the ruler of Babylonia, and Belshazzar was the ruler of Babylon. And so when he offers here the third ruler of the kingdom to Daniel, he's offering him the position under him. He couldn't give him the second position, because that would have dethroned him. And that's why I say the queen here is probably the, uh, the grandmother, the queen to Nebuchadnezzar. His grandfather, even though he's called his father here, Nebuchadnezzar is his grandfather. And he's offered these great things. And look what Daniel's response is in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. Give thy rewards to another. You know, I'll read the writing upon, unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. You know, Daniel has offered great reward, but Daniel refuses it. Because you see, Daniel didn't seek the reward of men. He was not serving for the reward of men. Daniel was not doing what Daniel did for 70 years in Babylon because he wanted the praise of men. Daniel's whole life was all about bringing glory to God. His whole life was driven by a desire to live for God's glory. That's why Daniel lived the way he did. That's why he rejects these gifts. Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. I don't need them. I'm not serving you, Belshazzar. I'm not serving myself. I'm serving God and it's him that needs to get the glory. Daniel had eternity's values in view. He sought to glorify the Lord. And if we're saved tonight, if you're saved tonight, then we who are saved, according to Ephesians chapter 1, are saved for the glory of God. Three times in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that we're saved for His glory. Now you and I are saved so that we won't have to go to hell. That's true. You and I have had our sins forgiven so you and I can go to glory. But ultimately, the reason why Jesus Christ died on Calvary and saved you and saved me is for His glory. So that through the ages to come, people might know of His glory. So that the angelic beings might know of God's glory. That's why He saved us, for His glory. Therefore, you and I ought to live like Daniel for God's glory. Go to 1 Corinthians, verses you know well. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because they are so appropriate here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Why? Because they belong to Him. We are saved for his glory. That was Daniel's testimony. He lived for the glory of God. He lived with eternity's values in view. He didn't live for Daniel. He lived for the Lord. And that ought to be our testimony. 
Now Belshazzar's party has been interrupted by the hand of God and now the party is over. The banqueting hall is now silent. As Daniel delivers the last sermon that Belshazzar would ever hear. In verses 18 to 25, Daniel preaches a powerful sermon to Belshazzar. And Daniel does this. Daniel proclaims this sermon. Before giving the interpretation of the writing of the wall, he preaches this sermon because Daniel firstly wants to explain to Belshazzar why God is about to judge him. So there would be no misunderstanding as to why God was taking the action that he was taking against Belshazzar. Why was God requiring Belshazzar's life that night? Daniel is about to explain to Belshazzar why it was that he's about to die. Why it was that Nebuchadnezzar did not die, and God forgave him. And why Belshazzar will die, and God won't forgive him. Why? Daniel pointed out that it was the same God who showed such judgment to Belshazzar as the God who showed mercy to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel in this passage fearlessly compares Belshazzar unfavorably to Nebuchadnezzar. Look in verse 18. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and a majesty and glory and honor for the majesty that he gave him. All people, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive and whom he would he set up and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from the kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And, when he was, and he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of heaven, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. Here Daniel explains Nebuchadnezzar's situation. He tells how Nebuchadnezzar was filled up with pride. You see, God had told Nebuchadnezzar in a vision about the statue. Remember, he saw the vision of the statue, the image with the head of gold and the shoulders of silver and, and so on, the thigh of brass, the legs of, uh, of iron and, and the feet of iron and clay. And remember, Daniel had said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. All the others, it was the kingdom of was the silver, the brass, and the, and the iron. But Belshazzar, uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And the problem with Nebuchadnezzar was, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the one who had given him the kingdom. He was the one who had made himself great. He was the one who had brought about the victories he had. And Nebuchadnezzar needed to be brought down to his knees to realize that he was who he was because God had placed him there. And because he was filled up with pride, God caused him to go into the field to live like a wild animal, to be fed grass like the wild beasts of the field. And the dew of heaven fell upon him 
I just think the amazing thing is, you know, he does that for a number of years and no one rises up against Nebuchadnezzar to dethrone him. Which tells you an awful lot about the power and authority of Nebuchadnezzar. But what Nebuchadnezzar does is Nebuchadnezzar realizes his sin before God and he repents of that sin. And repenting of the sin, confessing the sin, acknowledging who God is, God then restores this man to his position as king because now this man is saved, if you like, a New Testament term. He is trusted in the God of heaven and is restored. He receives the grace and mercy of God because he acknowledges his sin before a holy God. And now Daniel turns to Belshazzar. And he says in verse 2, And thou his son, or you could put it this way, but thou his son. Here's the contrast. Nebuchadnezzar had sinned, but he confessed his sin and was restored. But thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. It's another telling verse for Belshazzar. You knew all this. He knew all about Nebuchadnezzar's encounter with his God. He knew all about his grandfather's repentance. You see, such a king as Nebuchadnezzar is not going to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through and be restored to his palace as king without the whole of the kingdom knowing what has happened and you can guarantee that Belshazzar has heard the stories of his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar he may well have heard it at the knee of his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar he'd been told about Nebuchadnezzar's pride He'd been told about Nebuchadnezzar's failure to acknowledge his God. He'd, he'd been told about Nebuchadnezzar being brought down low and how Nebuchadnezzar had repented and turned to God and been saved. But Belshazzar, knowing this, has not humbled his heart, though he knewest all of this. He knew, as one commentator said, that God had given Nebuchadnezzar a great empire but the king had mistakenly thought that it was the result of his own effort. He knew that in his pride, Nebuchadnezzar had dismissed any thought of his dependence on the Almighty. This was his undoing. He was suddenly humbled by mental illness and made to think he was an animal. Eventually he learned his lesson and God gracefully stored him to his throne. But Belshazzar, according to verse 23, lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of the house before thee. Thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. Belshazzar, you knew all your grandfather went through, but you lifted yourself up, against the Lord of heaven. Two kings. One experiences the grace of God, the other experiences the judgment of God. 
One experiences God's grace and God's mercy because he acknowledges the God of heaven. He acknowledges who God is. He acknowledges his sin before a holy God. And God graciously and gloriously saves him. He experiences the grace and mercy of God. Belshazzar, on the other hand, rejects God. Refuses to acknowledge God. Refuses to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven. And indeed mocks him by drinking out of the vessels of the temple and worships the God of ba- gods of Babylon and therefore he's going to suffer the judgment of God. One is accepted of God and experienced God's grace. The other is rejected of God and, expect, and about to experience the wrath of God. Same is true today, isn't it? There's two kinds of sinners. There's those who are saved by grace, sinners saved by grace, and that's you and I. And as those who are sinners who are going to be lost for eternity because they will not acknowledge God. Because they reject God's gift of salvation. They'll spend eternity separated from Him. And I just find it remarkable here. This is such a wonderful Old Testament testimony to the grace and mercy of God. God will save anybody who will call upon Him even sinful Nebuchadnezzar. But those who reject him, God will judge. Belshazzar knew his grandfather's story. He knew of his encounter with God. But Belshazzar was stiff-necked, hard of heart, and he failed to acknowledge God. And Belshazzar compounded his wrongdoing by committing sacrilege with the temple vessels and praising gods made by human hands. Daniel has preached the truth to Belshazzar. Belshazzar had rejected the truth. Daniel has exposed that before Belshazzar and now Belshazzar is about to face the consequences. Therefore the verdict had been pronounced. The verdict is found in the mysterious writing on the wall of Belshazzar's banqueting hall in verse 25. It says, in verse 24 it says, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tekel you fasten. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tackle thou hast weighed in the balances and I found wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Meaning, meaning, tackle your fast. Thy kingdom is numbered, weighed and divided. The enemy right now is silently passing through the streets of the city on the way to the royal hall. God was about to put an end to the party once and for all. Belshazzar had fallen short of God's standard. Belshazzar, like so many today, had left God out of his life. Belshazzar, like all of us, fell short of God's standard, for we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the wage of sin is death. And Belshazzar was about to experience that. 
We've all been weighed in the balance. We've all been found wanting. And one day we'll stand before God and the difference will be that we'll either stand before the beamer seat judgment because by the grace of God we've been saved or before the great white throne judgment because you've rejected the salvation that God offers in Jesus Christ. I wonder are we ready to meet our God? If you're saved tonight, are we ready to meet the Lord? Are we living for him? You know, one day we're going to see our Savior face to face. We're going to stand in glory. And I wonder, is he going to be able to say unto us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. As believers, you and I ought to live with eternity in view. You and I ought to live with eternity's values in mind. You know, life is not supposed to be a continuous party, sinful or otherwise, for the believer. Life is supposed to be lived for the glory of God. That's why God saved us, for his glory. The world would have you and I join the party. God would have you and I honoring him. He says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, to set our affection on things above and not on things of this earth. You and I are to live right. You and I are to do right. You and I are to speak right. Beloved, we need to remember that judgment is fast approaching. And therefore we must live with eternity's values and view. As Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I wonder are we living for the glory of God? Will God say to each and every one of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when Jesus comes? Or will you and I be found wanting when he comes? When Daniel had finished his pronouncement, only one thing the king could do. In verse 29 we read, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be a third ruler in the kingdom. It was too late for Belshazzar. The party was over. He'd missed God's now salvation. In verse 30 and 31 we read, In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. That night Darius' army swarmed into the, dry, into the city on the dry riverbed that for three years they'd been planning to divert now they've dammed off the water into Babylon, divided in a new water course, and now they walk in on the dry riverbed under the gates of Babylon. And the enemy enters the palace, the city of luxury and fame, woke up the next morning to a new king, a new nation in control in their beautiful city in shambles. It said it was a bloodless coup. The only person to die that night was Belshazzar. God's word was fulfilled. Belshazzar that night met his God. And there's no other chapter in the Bible here in Daniel chapter 5. You and I are brought face to face with the awful reality of Hebrews 9.27 that is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. We all need to make sure that we're ready to meet our God. I wonder, are you ready? Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father, for the book of Daniel. We thank you for the story of Belshazzar and the graphic understanding, Father God, of your grace, your mercy, shown in Nebuchadnezzar, a man who confessed his sin before you and was gloriously saved. And Belshazzar, who knew all of that, who knew the truth, who knew about you, but in pride and selfishness rejected you and faced his judgment. Lord, help us to learn from this passage that it's appointed unto man wants to die and after that the judgment and ask ourselves, are we ready for judgment day? Let us now we pray as we close the hymn. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.